In today's episode, we talk with Paulette Jordan. Paulette shares very personal stories about how she was called to leadership from a very young age. Never know where you're going unless you know where you came from. And when you hold on to your roots, you're able to hold on to those elements of those shared experiences. It actually defines you to this point. And whether you realize it or not, you are the result of their sweat and tears and their hardships and you know even all their blessings gives you greater perspective because then you definitely know where you need to go next. She also tells us how her Native American traditions and mentors shaped her desire to serve today. I learned to my grandfather who would say, if you don't run, nothing's gonna change. You were raised a certain way. We have all invested in you, instilled in you all of these experiences and hardships and successes, and we want you to learn from all of that. All this, along with a very passionate message about why she feels the need to stay engaged as a leader and why we should stay engaged as well. Uh, And what I've learned is that if you disengage, you let everyone else speak for you. And for me to disengage means letting others speak for my children and my children's children and my environment. Nothing changes until we step up and stand up for ourselves. And if we step up and stand up to represent ourselves and our voice and what we believe, then things start to change. That is why I'm so hopeful. Welcome to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. So good to have you with us. We really appreciate you listening to us. Uh, we, we've been expanding week over week. We're getting more listeners. Kirsten, isn't it exciting? We're on, we're on all these new platforms now. And, I uh, love it. So excited. We it's actually, excited. I think this is episode number 20, so we're on fire. Yeah, we're doing good. We're doing good. Self props to us. Well, and and on this show, uh, those of you who have been listening week over week, you've heard some of the great guests we've talked to. Kirsten, I'm reminded at the very outset of this, you and I said there are so many people out there with great beliefs or values or principles, but you know, what are their real life practices? Mm -hmm. And I think you, you know, you and I have really been able to draw out some of these practical steps that people have to offer. That's right. That's right. And I think some of our, you know, favorites, and it's funny when I say favorites, I say that about every interview we do with every yes. person, right? I always say, oh my God, that's my favorite. That was right? awesome. That's right. <laughs> that was fantastic. Well, with that, let's bring in Paulette Jordan to our interview. Paulette is a candidate for the U.S. Senate from Idaho, and she joins us from the campaign trail. Yeah, first of all, I just I think you guys are beautiful people, and I'm I'm grateful that you're doing this. Uh, I love the start uh, and the concept behind your show. Well, great. Thank We're just so happy to have you. So I think I think just to start, you know, we talk about living your full potential and living your purpose. When did you know that this might be something you wanted to pursue in terms of uh, leadership and politics? What about your background or your mentoring or your family? Kind of led you to this point. I wouldn't say that I necessarily pursued it because when it was first presented to me back when I was in college or even younger, I I didn't think that this was an area that I I wanted to be in. It was just, it pursued me. I would say it started really when I was a young kid. My grandmother, and and I will even go back further, my lineage coming from a line of chiefs and leaders, men and women, you know, in our culture, you're raised to be brought up much like them. And because that's the standard in your culture and your family, I'm the same way. I see myself doing the same thing naturally to my own two sons 
but you raise them to be leaders and to be responsible and to be accountable and to look out for everybody. And I was raised that way. I remember when my great grandmother, she would often say to me, uh, when we'd enter into a space, here I am, this little girl with this very elderly woman uh, in her 80s, and she would uh, she'd walk into an arena of, of people, and everyone would come to her and you know give her you know, kind remarks and high regard, and and uh, because she was seen as the sweetheart of our people and a well-revered matriarch. And so when she was talking to folks, she'd always say, you know, before you get comfortable or settled, make sure you go around the room and shake everyone's hand and ask them if they need anything. Make sure all your elders are taken care of before you take care of yourself, meaning before you go sit down and get comfortable and enjoy things, make sure everyone else is in a good place. And she would say that to me anytime we were ever at an event. And I was just a kid. I'm like five years old at this time. But, uh, you know, that, I took that very serious. And so I grew up with that understanding that before I was able to be comfortable or to do things, I, wanted, I had to make sure everyone else was good, safe or, you know, had comfort. Now, you know, I see myself, you know, having this upbringing with my elders and being bred up to be a leader, whether I was being asked to speak or to do something and to be participating in some event or some production amongst my tribe or my community, my family. I just knew that taking this to the higher level, you know, going to my private school at Gonzaga Prep, that was all by the means of my elders. You know, they pressed me to be there. They honored me in that position. They constantly mentored me to do all these things. And, you know, it came down to the point where sometimes life is hard and sometimes you just want to not be out of your comfort zone. But they would always press me to continue being outside of my comfort zone for the sake of everybody. And they would always say, we're all with you. Your ancestors are with you. So keep going. We're proud of you. We need you to be doing this. We need you to, to carry this forward for all of us. And knowing that, you know, there's no way you can stop and there's no way you're going to tell your elders no, because that's not the way I was raised. So I just kept going and I got to college and I remember being at the University of Washington and uh, a good friend of mine were doing an interview because right when I got there, I was asked to step in where there was a need. So of course, when an elder, you know, asked me to step in where there's a need, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do what's right for everybody. Uh, and as soon as you know it, I'm given titles and I'm asked, asked to do more and, you know, and then granted more responsibility. And, uh, you know, so these titles and uh, responsibilities, they continue to grow and grow and grow year after year. And one year uh, I was doing this interview with the local media and a mentor of mine came through and said, this is the next U.S. senator. She's going to be a U.S. senator someday. So keep a good eye on her. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought, okay, I, my mind is not there. I'm not involved in politics. And I was thinking, no way, Jose, do I want to be in politics? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be involved in what I felt like was the muck. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I just want to go home, help my people, do what's right. But, you know, again, wasn't thinking politics. As soon as I was graduating uh, from college and just figuring out what the next step was, my grandfather reached out. He's a World War II veteran. He was a former chairman of my tribe, chief judge, you know, he was a natural resources ambassador, my mentor. Uh, this man took me to school back and forth from the reservation to private school in uh, Spokane. And he would tell me uh, every day, you know, we, we are, we're waiting for you. And when he came upon my, my graduation date, he says, you know, we need you home. And I went to an event with him and right away he took me to a room full of elders in our community. And there's hundreds of people in this space. They're having a conference. And he stood up in the middle, right in the middle of that whole conference, took the mic and said, this woman right here, she is going to be our future and she is our next leader. 
we have to get behind her and ensure she's our voice. And that was it. Basically, that's like an endorsement for you to be in politics. And yes. so that's my tribal council role. Um, so basically, by their urging, you know, I, I got into politics of my tribe. And from there, you know, it's it's like uh, the rest is history. But, it, you know, one step always leads after the other. And I'd say I didn't seek this role. It sought me. But as I'm, you know, they'll say that sometimes you're, when you're successful and you're doing the good work, you're going to be voluntold to do things. Uh, <laughs> and I think for me, it's just a privilege. So you got to look at it that way. And I'll, I'll continue to do the work as long as I'm asked to be here. I love voluntold. You know, I'd love to just point out a couple of things that you've said, because as you can imagine on Wall Street, I've been around many different types of leaders. Some that you use the word well-revered towards your grandmother, some that are not well-revered, but feared and idolized. But the words that you use that really struck me is do what's right for everybody, accountability, responsibility, and be there for others. And those terms or variations of it throughout the thread, even from an early age. And to me, that is a hallmark of a beautiful leader. So thank you for for sharing that. Thank you. I mean, it's my grandfathers who were, and my grandmother even, uh, they were all chiefs of our people. And they would often say that uh, leadership roles, like the ones that they served in, are not roles that that were sought out, primarily because you were asked to put the people before yourself. And that's really humbling, but that's a a different style of leadership that comes from this indigenous structure and mindset. Yeah. And you've really touched on a lot of traditions and wisdom that you got from your elders. But you've just come back from representing at the DNC uh, convention, you know, a very kind of virtual, interesting experience, I'm sure, compared to past conventions. But how do some of those, especially in the Native American caucus, how, how do those traditions and philosophies translate into today's world? You know, what are some of the issues that need to be addressed using those experiences? I would say the, you know, the indigenous way of life is really uh, empathetic and compassionate towards people and nature. You know, so we're talking about protection humanity overall uh, and not seeking people to be a part. You know, all of our ceremonies, when we walk into a ceremony and we walk out, we will say all my relations. And when we say all my relations, we mean everybody, uh, everything, all the elements from the, the winged to the four-legged to humanity. We're talking Mother Earth and nature and water and air, all of these elements that have energy and a spirit. All of that is connected to us. And when we say all my relations, we mean that we are all related. And I think that just is a, a mentality and a way of life that is still practiced from thousands of years ago to today. But it also gets into our politics where, you know, for, well, very few of us are able to exhibit that because uh, you're not going to see it unless we're there in these halls of Congress or in the U.S. Senate, like I've said. And, and that's often why I say you have never heard a voice like mine, you know, in politics, but we're working to go there now. And it's taken us some time because we had to, to go through so much from genocide to uh, stolen lands to the abruption of the Relocation Act and the termination era and the boarding schools. And, you know, so now we're here as a resilient people and we've been able to uh, catch on to society and, and adjust. And, you know, now that we have grown in so many ways, we've become still uh, adherent to those our old way of life, the traditional values, but also blending that into the culture of today's politics. And I think in the the marriage of the two, what I love about it is the young people are who were 
being able to prop up. So as you've seen in the Native American caucus, you know, we were able to talk about how young people are going to be able to take this next generation of politics into the future as new leaders, young leaders that will talk about a better way of life for everybody, but in a different circumstance where, you know, they're wanting to address the fiscal issues that we face and they want to see climate crisis at the forefront and accepting the fact that uh, nature does have rights and deserves to be respected and, you know, are wanting to take the greed element out of politics too. I think that all of these things really align with the indigenous way of life. And of course, seeing that young people are being more progressive in their ideals, you know, they know that it's wrong to hurt their fellow mankind. And I know that just talking to young people and and learning how engaged they want to be, that says to me that they want to see change. You know, we may not see that in the older generations, but I, I do see this from everybody that you know, they're just tired of the way things are going. They're tired of the, the poor systemic changes that have been made that are hurting them. They're just tired of the, the politics of people who are playing up to the rhetoric uh, and the partisanship, the divide in our country and the hate. You know, and I, I think even just being, um, you know, misled in so many ways by the representation, the representatives. So I mean, people want the truth and they want to be more included and, and inclusive to those around them. And I, I just love that, that people are starting to get back into building building community and that it's not a bad thing. You know, like the Republicans, they want to use socialism against Democrats. And I, I just think that this, this whole element of what they represent and dividing and including our president, just wanting to divide, you know, that to me, it's, it speaks volumes to what I hear in the next generation to follow and what's coming and why I'm here to help pave the way for them. And like I'm told, we have to do our part here and today because we gotta, we have to pave that way for this young generation that's coming through as rainbow children who are going to bring this greater element of peace. So I am acting as an ambassador of peace because that is my role. And that, as we said before, you know, that is in our genetic makeup. That is within my very core. And, and I feel that element of God. And that's why I'm doing my best to stay awakened to this, this part of myself spiritually. Uh, Kirsten, as we were talking about this, this is why... I think it's special for people to understand that everyone everyone awakens to their own spirit at different times of their life. And I think for young people, they're coming to that stage early on, you know, into this awakening, this process of awakening for the whole country. But uh, I, I see that now, and I'm, I'm grateful that we could be here, and I'm able to prop up our Indigenous uh, ideologies, culture, values, principles, etc., uh, in a good way, and now be able to implement this into today's politics. Well, it's very exciting. But, you know, Kirsten, we, we were talking before about the new generation uh, being more involved, motivated, and resonating with this message. Paulette, I'm very curious, as you have talked to young people, I mean, it is very motivating. I know I've seen the crowds. They're enthusiastic. People even watch you on national media and find you very motivating. But do you feel that now the young generation will move to action? I think a lot of people are concerned that, hey, I might be angry or I might be feeling misled. But you know, I'm not very excited about my options, or I don't think my vote counts, or I don't really want to get involved. What, what do you say to these folks? I'd say they're already doing their job. You know, they're, they're, there's this word that goes around, and it's called woke. You know, and I, I younger people use this. I'm 40. I don't feel like I'm super young, but I'm, you know, I'm a mother of two sons, so I almost feel like sometimes I don't have that way uh, to use the word woke. But really, I mean, these young folks are woke, and they're they're just there. They're very present. And I, I'm so grateful because they're willing to do what many aren't. You know, they're out in the streets protesting. They're going into the halls of Congress and, you know, barricading areas or they're just doing sit-ins and really doing whatever it takes to promote action. 
And that, that is really, to me, the indigenous way that I've been taught is, you know, we, we don't act on Western culture of being about nouns, which is just all talk. You know, we're about verb. And the, even our language is uh, all based on verb. It's about taking action. And that is really the only way you're going to see significant change. It's just taking these simple day-to-day, step-by-step actions. And I'm, I'm already watching our young people. They're, they're actually going out to these spaces, um, being on the front line. And uh, whether they're holding a title or not, or they have money or not, they're just doing it. And I, I think that's really what's going to help change the country overall, is people having that kind of passion and being excited and knowing that nobody else is going to change this system or this country for them. They have to do it themselves. And the fact that they're rolling up their sleeves already, you know, that speaks volumes. Excellent. You know, and going back then to this word IntelliKey and, you know, achieving your full potential, do you feel like now all generations can share this? We talked about taking care of our elders, but as we think about this bridge to the next generation, do we feel like the generation is set up and has the foundation to achieve their full potential? What else can be done to make sure that they have that chance? Well, I would say yes, because, you know, we're, we're doing our best to educate. And one of, my, uh, one of my elders would always tell me that you never know where you're going unless you know where you came from. And I, I think that just speaks to holding on to our roots. And when you hold on to your roots, you're able to hold on to those elements of those shared experiences. I always am reminded of what my grandfathers went through to get us to this point of survival. And I, I learned a lot about the negotiations and the battles and their fight for freedom and independence. And, you know, you learn a lot from that. You, and that it actually defines you to this point in this day. But you never really can break that down unless you understand what those who came before you have gone through. Because that, you know, they talk about this with PTSD or intergenerational trauma, you know, and it's, it all is a, an inherited experience. And as we're inheriting this experience in our genetic makeup, then it becomes us, you know. So what your grandparents have done before your time here, you know, impacted your life today. And whether you realize it or not, you are the result of their sweat and tears and, you know, their hardships and, you know, even all their blessings. And that's why, you know, I try to remind our young people that you have to learn all about your history and your culture and understand that this is where they've been to help you be where you are today. And when you can understand that, that in itself is humbling, but it also gives you greater perspective because then you definitely know where you need to go next. So for me, it's, you know, what I will tell young folks is uh, knowing all of that, knowing all the sacrifice and the hardships, I have no right to disrupt that because they're building a chain of uh, accountability for me to take on. And, you know, I, if I broke that link for my children and they're my children's children, you know, that's on me. And that would be, a, you know, a great disservice to a whole line of nations of people. And so nations of people got me here and I have a due responsibility and my diligence is to do my best and ensure that I am continuing on the legacy you know, of this leadership and the legacy of being accountable and responsible for those around me, including the children that I brought into this lifetime. And now, you know, trying to teach them to do the same, you know, that is part of the responsibility. And then for others, and I, I think all of the youth, they understand this, that Yes, you know, I just feel like they are are very connected, but also very aware that they have to be accountable and that whether the past generations, they'll say uh, the baby boomer society or all those who have created, you know, so much disruption in our environment and uh, culturally with the the way the economy sits today, you know, people were just spending and going into greater debt and, you know, there was no, um, there's no real end to 
to all of that, they felt that no one was looking out for their future. And if our children, our youth feel that we were not looking out for their future and they know that they are it, then for them to be in that level of awareness, they know that they have to act now. So they are not wasting a minute. You know, they're acting out there. They're, they're making sure. Let's hold our leader, leaders accountable. I may not be able to vote yet. I'm 16, but, you know, I'm still going to hold my parents accountable. I'm still going to talk to my aunties and uncles. I'm still going to talk to people in the community. I'm still going to get on TikTok and Twitter and, you know, Facebook and Instagram. And I'm going to speak my mind, you know, because I want to be able to have some influence so that when I get to that point of being able to vote, I can actually participate or I can run for office. You know, and I can help change the system to be better. But I think that they're just so mindful and so awake that they are, they're already starting to be a part of shifting the system, even though, you know, they don't, they don't get the, uh, the grand privilege to vote. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that's really why I feel so hopeful in knowing that, you know, we have a great team with us. We have a, a whole army of young, powerful leaders that whether they're holding a title or not, or whether they can vote or not, they're already making great shifts. And uh, I see that this is how we're winning. We're already winning in the process. So it's not so bleak to me. I know a lot of people feel like it's, you know, it's a, a bleak time right now, but I says, no, it's, it's actually the, the beauty of it is growing. And once the light starts to shine on, on what they're doing, uh, I, I just think it's going to be remarkable, but I'm excited for it. I love, I, I have to say, I share your enthusiasm about the youth. My daughters are 24 and 25. And I'm so, I mean, they're, they're the result of a single mother and lots of PTSD and trauma in their background. And they're comfortable with me speaking to it because of the work we've done together. They've been very blessed with being allowed to have the voice of their own unique expression, even Mm -hmm. if it differs from mine, even if it differs from my belief system. And I felt that was a very valuable component to impart So listening to my daughters, um, what would you say to those who really do believe that they are to rise because they have no choice, right? We have a huge thing and we have something huge in front of us that we have to address. Otherwise, the world may not exist. I mean, that's a reality where global warming has hit. It's here. For those who believe, and this might be a little controversial, my children are very upset with the candidates in front of them. They feel like, yet again, the old people picked and put people in place, and their voice was not heard, despite every bit of effort they put in, and they're very politically active. They have been. So what do you offer to these younger children who believe that our current candidates, yet again, they feel very disincented and disenfranchised by the DNC? I would say I was in the same position for a very long time, thinking that same way, you know, feeling discouraged by the fact that, you know, there was never anyone who looked like me. And of course, it was an older white male who, uh, to me, did not get it. And because they never understand really where we're coming from overall or what the future looks like. And uh, that, to me, was always frustrating because that was usually the only option on the ballot. Uh, But yet, you know, I, I learned to my grandfather who would say, if you don't run and, you know, be the good apple amongst all the bad, nothing's going to change. And he says, and we raised you to be that person, to make a difference, and you're the only one who can do it. And I didn't really think of it in such a great regard at the time, because I'm sitting in his house, he lives out in the middle of the country in Sanders, Idaho, and he's, uh, you know, he's surrounded by herds of elk and just nothing but just mountains and vast terrain. Uh, And he's an elderly man, and he's saying in his old years, 
this is what I think, that you are it. And I thought, yeah, okay. And I, I just figured he's my granddad. He's my elder mentor. He's just wanting to encourage me. And But uh, I actually, it started to seep in over the years that passed. And, and what he was saying to me is, you know, you're, you were raised a certain way. And all of us, we have all invested in you, instilled in you, you know, all of these uh, experiences and hardships and successes. And we want you to learn from all of that because him, you know, being a, you know, someone who has worked nationally and internationally, he knew what was out there and what wasn't out there. And he saw that there was a place for me. And he's saying that you're going to go there because everybody needs you. We can't just isolate you to the tribe and be our voice for the, just the community. He said, the world deserves you. And that to me, I mean, while it broke my heart because I said, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time leaving my family, leaving the tribe. But I said, I will do what is asked of me. And so he said, yes, you know, our state needs you, our, the country needs you, you need to go to those places. And, uh, and that, that right there, you know, that was everything for me. And there was just that, just needing that permission. But I was like those young folks, your daughters and every other person who says I'm disappointed when I was looking to be more activated, you know, in the system, because that required me to choose a party. Uh, I looked at the system and I thought, you know, one area that really fits me because we're nonpartisan as a people, is the Democratic Party at this time because they're talking about being pro-environment and pro-people and pro-women's rights. They're pro-immigration, you know, and they, they are just more family-suited and more about equality and peace. When I was looking at the Republican Party, I wasn't seeing that. And, I, and this is me from the Tribal Council and already involved in politics. And at the local level, I saw racism. I saw uh, anti-women's rights. I saw anti-environment. I saw anti-business, which meant anti-labor rights. And I also saw that there's really no room for the promotion of peace and justice. Uh, And I read their platform and I saw that they're very anti-nature. And for me, that is my, that is my upbringing is to hold the contract with mother Earth and the rights of nature. And I, I thought, okay, that's certainly not a place for me right now. And that, of course, I'm, you know, if I'm going to enter this realm of politics uh, and what I've learned is that if you disengage, you let everyone else speak for you. And for me to disengage means letting others speak for my children and my children's children and my environment. So nothing changes until we step up and stand up for ourselves. And if we step up and stand up to represent ourselves and our voice and what we believe, then things start to change. That is why I'm so hopeful. That is why I'm so happy about our young people, because they have the energy and the wherewithal and the ability to do this, this work that is needed. Uh, and so I'm just uh, very grateful that, you know, we have good people like yourself that are going to elevate the voices of our people and elevate the message that needs to be heard because uh, wherever you are, you know, when you're listening to a talk like this, uh, just understand that, you know, you have millions of other people who are in a similar situation and circumstance. And when it's time, when we're all ready to come to this space, to come together, uh, it'll, it'll come uh, rightfully so when it needs to happen. And I'm just, I'm very optimistic about that. Well, that's terrific. Well, thanks for your vision. Thanks for the encouragement. Well, Kirsten, what a terrific conversation we just had with Paulette Jordan. We got to know her. We got to know her in an intimate way. You know, we spoke of policies, we spoke of ideas, but we got to know who Paulette was, how she came to be, and what shaped her. So I loved how she talked about that. Well, I guess going back to this practical life thing, 
you know, isn't the contrast, I guess, between, you know, you've talked about the going to the mountaintop and chanting and meditating, you know, that you cannot be out of this world, that we must be living in the world and be practical about it. Mm -hmm. Connect a little bit with that and some of the things that she was talking about from a principal standpoint. Yeah, you know, it's funny, you and I were just talking about that. And, you know, I started getting passionate about it because we have this thing called spiritual bypass. And people want to, you start feeling good when you start having your spiritual awakening and you're seeing the light and you're connected in. You know, meditating and being gone consciously is very blissful. You just don't want to come back. You know, it's oftentimes people only, they, they become spiritual and they only want to deal with the foo-foo, fuzzy, light, happy. And I like you saw me do it. I said, we're going to ohm on the mountaintop, right? We're just going to go ohm on the mountaintop all day long. And I'm not getting involved in any of these issues because I'm so spiritual. I'm just going to send the light. I'm just going to send the love, right? But what Paulette spoke to was accountability and responsibility for protecting and preserving things that are essential to all of humanity, i.e. the environment. So if we're on the mountaintop, oming our way, spirit has given us the ability, I'm gonna use spirit, please people insert whatever you want. I'm not here to give you advice on what to believe. But spirit gave us brains to use, gave us a voice to use, to act on information. So if we're just going to ohm on the mountaintop and pray and look for change, you know, hope for change and never go down to protect our environment, chances are our environment's going to go away. You need people who are willing to stand. And, and Paul had spoken over and over and over. What do you offer up to the, to the youth? Be active. Be active. Mm-hmm. Participate. Get involved. Use your voice, use your power, stand in your power. Don't sit back. Don't be apathetic. I mean, she said it in a thousand different ways. But what she said was don't sit on the mountaintop and own. (laughs) You have to be responsible and accountable. And those are just using her words, right? So the spiritual bypasses both emotionally, but it's also externally. What does it matter if I'm fully enlightened and my world and my neighbors are falling apart? Yes. Right. Is yes. that really enlightenment? Right. <laughs> I so right. enlightened you're, that I can that you're it. meditating and chanting while your next door neighbor needs help. That's not enlightenment. Well, what a what a terrific episode. And like you, every guest is <laughs> my favorite. So someday when we're ranking these, it's going to be a really hard day. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I'll <laughs> never come up with just one. <laughs> there's no just top ten. Uh, absolutely. Well, it's been so fun. Paulette graciously offered at the end, I hope we caught it, that, hey, maybe we'll do this again sometime. So if you have comments or questions that you'd like to ask uh, Paulette, I think we will be talking to her again uh, yeah. along the way. And uh, we'll be sure to understand you know, where, where the issues are, where the questions are. So uh, all of our listeners, feel free to weigh in on that in the comments. Yeah. We'll conclude this episode right here. It's been part one of our interview with Paulette Jordan. Stay tuned for part two coming up right in your podcast feed. And to make sure you hear all our IntelliKey Leadership Story podcast, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. And until the next time, here's to your IntelliKey as you grow to your full potential in your business and in life. Beautiful. 
You've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our websites, www.pureintellikey.com and www.mark-stenson.com. IntelliKey Leadership Stories is copyright 2020. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories.